All right, all right. Well, good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody doing? Come on, have you enjoyed the first session of ARC 2018? It's been amazing, right? I mean, wow. I mean, we could really go home now, but that would be silly. We got so much more, so much more. Let me introduce myself. My name's Ron Nelson. My wife, Charlotte's in the back. Wave, babe. We, uh, we have the privilege of pastoring a church in North Atlanta called Eastgate Church, uh, just around Alpharetta, Johns Creek area. We are not an ARC plant because we missed the boat, pardon the pun, but we are ARC partners, which really just means we pray and try to finance the dream and everybody's hearts that want to plant with ARC. So we're one of the hundreds of churches that support church planning through ARC. So we're just excited to be along for the ride. But this this whole session is, to me, I don't have the notes to all the sessions. I just have the titles like you. But I think you're in the right room. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but building teams is key, right? Building teams is key, but building healthy teams is critical. Like, that's the most important thing. And so I want to introduce the one who's going to really walk us and help us through that. And this is Sean Lovejoy to my right. Uh, Sean, go ahead and welcome him. Give him a hand real quick. Sean, we just started to get to know each other a little bit, but he has such a great legacy in ministry. He actually pioneered and pastored a large church in the north side of the town I'm at called Mountain Lake, and that's still thriving and growing, but currently, and for the last 15 or so years, and he can correct any of this I mess up, he's been coaching other pastors and other church planners, and he has a network called Courage to Lead. I'd, in, I'd encourage you to write that down, couragetolead.com, and it's really just a coaching network to help pastors all around the nation to really just help them do what God has called them to do better. And so it's just an honor to be here. It's an honor to host you. If you need anything at all throughout this session, just kind of wave your hand myself or my wife will take care of you. And this is kind of how it's going to go. We've got an hour together. All right. So we have this hour and at about 10 minutes left to go, I've been given permission to come on up, interrupt him and let you get a chance to ask questions. So if you have questions, jot them down along the way. If they don't get answered through the content of what Sean's going to cover, uh, we will make sure we do our best to get to you. OK, so with all that, we're going to let Sean take over. Go ahead, Sean. Appreciate Thank it, man. you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Hey, um, hope you had a good day. I want to encourage you some great preaching this morning. I don't want to preach at you. I want to equip you during this hour. Who needs to be equipped? Okay, so you've been inspired, okay? But inspiration, information, not necessarily transformation. I want to see transformation. I, I just I, Conferences are a little bit overrated because you're walking out, and you, how many of you are condemned already because everything you're not? Okay, so I want to help you um, become everything God wants you to become. We, our church was the, was the little engine that could, okay? We were rocking 100 after one year. Come on now, can I get a witness? All right, Twitter and Facebook didn't exist. We thought we were the fastest growing church in America. But I had great mentors and coaches in my life, people like Andy Stanley and Chris Hodges and Larry Osborne. I mean, ama I had amazing coaches in my life. That's why I believe so much in coaching. Everything I'll share with you today is not an original thought. I ripped it off from somebody and made it better. Okay? So don't think that the biggest mistake I see churches make, number one mistake, isolation. Why would you sit out on a wheel on an island and try to recreate the wheel when another church ahead of you has already figured it out? And they stole it from somebody else. I know my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges here at Church of the Highlands. Everything we do has been ripped off from somebody else. And then we made it better. Okay? So learn. If you can get it, rip it off. Growleader.com, everything comes out of Church of the Highlands. They give it away on their website. You know, there's tons of free resources on our website. Man, go learn from other people. And so I'm going to share with you today not original thoughts, but really just stuff I've learned along the way from great coaches, mentors, and churches in my life. I have been coaching pastors for 15 years. You know, now, finally, three years ago, it was just a calling on my life to pastor, pastor. Some of my best friends have moral failures and flamed out and burned out. And I think it's a good idea we all finish sane, centered, and married, number one. Who's for that? Okay, my wife's sitting right over here. We've been married 25 years, and you can tell I married up. Um, and I, I, want us, I want us to finish well together. I'm all for the Great Commission, just not at the expense of the Great Commandment. And that really dovetails into perfectly what I want to talk about today. 
um, I want to talk about building healthy teams, okay? All of my teaching, coaching at CourageToLead.com, for some reason they're, they're bouncing back and forth, but um, it, is, it re- resonates around these idea of the three gears of growth. We, the three gears of growth, I call them. Culture, team, and systems. The metaphor, the image is significant because they're separate but independent gears, Okay, you can come off to Ark and you can rip off all the curriculum, come down to Church of the Highlands, rip off the growth track. They'll give it to you. Okay, I know tons of churches that have done that and they're still not growing. Okay, the right system will not give you the silver bullet you need for your church. And there frankly is no perfect system. There is no perfect plan. If you're looking for that, stop looking and instead start working your plan. The problem is probably not the system. It's probably the team or the culture supporting the system. So all three are important. I also run into church planners all the time. They say, man, we're, we're baptizing people like crazy and lives are being changed, but our church is not growing. We can't figure it out. That's probably a systems issue. I call it outkicking your coverage. And one thing's for sure. Andy Stanley told me this in 1999. Every church is perfectly structured for the results they're getting now. Think about that for just a moment. The reason your church is averaging what they're averaging is not because the Holy Spirit's holding back from you. Okay, we think we're waiting on Jesus. He's waiting on us to get our act together so He can trust us with more people. One thing's for sure, He's not going to bring more people than we can steward. So systems are important. If you're not good at it, don't use that as a cop-out. Okay, you can build systems. All you need to know is where are people now? Where does God want to take them? And start building the bridge. That's all you got to do. And then culture. You have to be the culture you want to build. If you want to have a life-giving culture, guess what? You've got to be a life-giving person. Not suck the life out of everybody. you got to smile. you got to get a life. When a pastor tells me, well, ministry is my hobby, I'm like, well, you need counseling for that. Get a life. Okay? Have some fun. Smile. You know, and some of us, we have to work on that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I have to discipline myself to celebrate, to smile, all of that, and be a life-giving person. So inside of all of that is this component called the team. And the good news is if your church is running 100 or 200 people, for it to grow fivefold, 500%, you probably don't have to preach any better. How many of you just got the Holy Spirit blessing? Okay? The music probably doesn't have to get a ton better. Now, it probably needs to get a little bit better. We want to blame the worship pastor for everything. Who are my worship pastors in the house? Yeah. You know Satan was a worship leader, right? No, I'm just kidding. It's not the worship pastor's fault, okay? It's not the preaching, okay? You're going to live and die from this step forward probably by who you surround yourself with. Now, the biggest lie from hell I ever believed is that one more staff person would solve my problems. Then you realize every staff person is a problem. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it is, it's just more, it's just more headaches, it's more tension. And as, as, the, as the team grows, the tensions grow. And you, you've, you can have a very, very toxic culture. I get concerned about two categories of churches. Those doing this and those doing this. Because they're grabbing people very quickly and sticking them into positions. There's two categories of team members. There are products and projects. You ought to write that down. Products and projects. Now, products, they have experience. They can hit the ground running. They've done it before. You need to watch for them. I say this about my, in my book, Be Mean About the Vision. They'll hijack the whole thing if you're not careful. That's what you got to watch. you got to be close to them either. You can't just stick them in there and let them run. Then you've got all these green, inexperienced, jacked-up people that got one leg in a bar and one leg filled with the Holy Spirit. Anybody like that in your church? Okay, so we, we, we want to stick those people in there. We want to qualify the unqualified. They're eager beagers. They're ready to roll, but they've got to be developed. Time and experience alone won't make them better. They've got to be developed, and that's our responsibility. A staff doesn't make a team, but it can become one. Your number one responsibility as the leader is to be a culture architect, but then build the team, develop the team. And you can't just have a bunch. Of, if it's you and a whole bunch of projects, you're not going to be successful. And some of you are tired today. You're discouraged. I don't, I don't have many regrets in my church. When we first moved to Cumming, Georgia, to start the church in 1999, I just, I just love being around lost people. They just have no filter. They just say whatever they're thinking. Sometimes I enjoy being around lost people more than some Christians. You know what I'm saying? 
when I started the church, I just hung out with lost people all the time. Our first four or five small groups, it was like Trisha and I and a bunch of pagans. <laughs> and it was awesome, you know, just winning people to the Lord like every day. But then I looked around, our church was 400 people, and we had 398 projects and two products. And none of them tithed. None, none of them could support. Nobody could pour into us and have our backs and defend us. And we had a leadership crisis on our hands. If I had one regret that I would go back and do differently when I planted my church, I would focus on leadership from day one. Leadership from day one. I wouldn't do a marriage small group. I wouldn't do addiction small group if I'm the pastor, if I'm the church planter. I would find future people with future leadership potential. That's where I'd spend all my time. I'd pour into leaders. Do a Bible study in the Gospels of all the time Jesus is trying to get away from people. Think about it. Actually pulling himself away from the crowds to be with the guys who had leadership potential. What do we do? We tear ourselves away from the leaders to go be with the masses and go win one more for Jesus. And even when it comes to evangelism, we're to be equippers of the saints, not just doers of evangelists. If you want to be an evangelist, hit the road and be an evangelist. If you want to be a pastor you got to be an equipper. You've got to equip people. you got to equip somebody to do evangelism instead of you doing it all and run around like a chicken with your head cut off. When you start a church, you start a ministry, you have to do everything. The longer you do everything, you become a lid. If Jesus needed a team, you got to have a team. So get a team. How do you, well, we don't really have those in our church. Well, how many people are in your city? How many people were in your student ministry, your college ministry, your previous church? Go find them in the name of Jesus. And I'll tell you this, who are my athletic fans? College football fans. I'm a huge college football fan, okay? I cried when Bear Bryant died, okay? Just so you know how deep it is in my blood, all right? The great college football coaches, they understand. Two- and three-star athletes, they'll sign up with very little effort. The four- and five-star athletes, they have to be recruited, okay? Followers will sign up on a, rec- a card, Leaders, you got to go find them. You got to be looking for them. That's why the most successful leaders in your church on Sunday morning are standing around like this. Not running around like a chicken with their heads cut off, you know, trying to get everybody in their spot, okay? Because they've built teams, they've raised up leaders, they've prepared, they're standing in one place and they're looking at the door for people walking in the door for the next victim, I mean leader, <laughs> that walks in the door. And if, if you want to grow from where you are to where you need to be, you, you've got to become an equipper, not a doer. Because if you don't, you're going to become the lid. You're not going to be able to keep up. And if you're a staff member, you're going to become a statistic. Sooner or later, they're going to come in and say, we're going to have to move you. We're going to have to let you go. If you hang on to everything. And I know the old adage, it's just easier to do it myself. That's going to get you fired. Okay? That's going to put a lid on your church. So repent of that. Okay? Think how narcissistic that is to think no one can do it as well as you can. I bought into that mentality. Okay? One, it's going to suck the life out of you and you're going to burn out. I don't want you to do that. Two, you're going to not be able to keep up. You're going to be the weak link in the chain. Okay, so we developed a cool little assessment you can take in like three minutes to assess your culture, your team, and your systems. Gearsofgrowth.com is free. Take it. It's great. It's great. It's great. It's, you sort of compa- it compares you with other healthy and unhealthy ministries and kind of grades you as to your ministry health right now. So you ought to do it and give it to your team. But I want to talk today about how you can take that group of people, ragtag projects and products, and get them all moving together as a cohesive unit. This is what Jesus did with the disciples. You know, at one moment, they're all jockeying to see who's going to sit next to him at the table. And he's trying to teach them how to wash each other's feet. Like, that's what he gave his life to. See him through those lenses. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to take all these broken pieces and the projects and the products and get them all moving together. That's what a healthy team does, okay? Three requirements for a healthy team. You see this in Acts chapter 2. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to, the, to each other. And they, they were together consistently. So, number one, mutual devotion. Mutual devotion. We've got to be committed to God, to the vision, to each other. That's important. Two, proximity. 
We've got to be close to each other. And three, consistency. All right? Mutual devotion, proximity, consistency. I get a call from a pastor sometimes. They say, Pastor Sean, uh, we got, got a problem with our worship leader. It's always a worship leader. Told you. Got a problem with our worship leader. He doesn't get the vision. He's just not on board. I don't understand what his deal is. Uh, my first question is always, well, Pastor, tell me about your, tell me about your weekly meeting with him. Oh, uh, uh, you know, uh, he's bivocational. He's part-time. You know, this and that. You know, we're on planning center. And I got my coaching thing. I speak. I write. I do this and that and the other. I, I'm here and I'm this. I, I'm marrying, burying. You know, I, I, I do this. I, I drop everything in planning center. I'm like, Pastor, the reason you and your worship leader are not on the same page is because he doesn't know you. You don't know him. You don't know each other's hearts. You got to be devoted to God. You got to be devoted to your team. If you're too busy to meet with your leaders, you have got your calendar and priorities jacked up. You're leading opposite of the way Jesus taught. He's tearing himself away from the crowds. You're tearing yourself away from the leaders to go be with the crowds. Start leading like Jesus. Tear your, tell everybody else no. Frustrate everyone else in the church except your family and your leaders. You're going to frustrate people. You just get to decide who you're going to frustrate. Okay? And guess what? As I make myself unavailable, other people become available and the ministry gets done. As long as it hinges on me, It'll hinge on me. It's a, it's a decision I make, okay? So live for an audience of one. Lead the way Jesus led. And guess what? He, he tends to take care of the outcome. And don't be a fear-based leader that's worrying about the next person going to leave, whatever, okay? Your spouse could leave. Your children could leave. Your team's going to leave if you don't spend time with them. Be, don't let anything get in the way of, of being with your team. If somebody, one of my direct reports for all these years, if a meeting has to get moved, one of them, they know we got to get it back on the calendar somewhere this week because you matter to me. Most important thing in the world. And what do you think that communicates to them? Value. Values me. People will come and work for nothing. Take a bullet for you, tackle hell with a water gun for you, with you, if they know you value them. They'll leave a large church, take a huge pay cut, happened to me dozens of times, to work for you if they know you value them. How many of you would like to surround yourself with somebody smarter than you? Okay, think about this. <laughs> if you want to hire people and have leaders around you that are smarter than you, they won't follow you because you're smarter than them. Only one reason. You're healthier than them and you love them. That's about it. That's about it. So you, you've got to do this. Mutual devotion, proximity, consistency. Five components of a healthy team. Five components of a healthy team. Let me give these to you. They spend consistent time together. They have each other's backs. I'm going to talk about that today. They hold each other accountable. They handle conflict God's way. And they value the goal more than their role. Let me go over those again. They spend consistent time together. They have each other's backs. They hold each other accountable. They handle conflict God's way. They value the goal more than their role. Now, how many of you would like for me to expand on those just a little bit? <laughs> That's what we're going to kind of talk about through the rest of the day. You see all of this in the early church. Let me just read you a couple of verses. I don't want to preach at you. Acts 2.42, listen through those lenses. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They called it koinonia. It was so intimate among the leaders. Different race, tribes, tongues, religious backgrounds, calling each other brother and sister. And people outside the church looked at how the leaders were working together and like, man, I wish we had relationships like they have. I think everybody in the church ought to be able to look at the leadership team, the pastors, and say, man, I wish we had relationships like they have relationships. I think that's how we ought to roll with each other. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes together for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And then it says, and the Lord added to their number daily. Okay? It was a product 
of a healthy set of relationships. I know some very, very rapidly growing churches that have imploded because they valued the Great Commission over the Great Commandment. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let it happen to your team. Lead your team. So this is where meetings come in, all right? Now, I've never led a bad meeting. Have you? How many of you have been in a bad meeting? How many of you have been in a bad meeting at your church? Don't raise your hands. You'll get fired. Okay? I want, I, when, when I was 28 years old when I started the church, I tell church planners all the time, don't start a church when you're 28. You're stupider than you think you are. I was ready to pastor at 40, but I'd been a pastor for 12 years and had to repent of a lot. You know, I didn't know. They never taught me. How many of you learned how to learn lead a meeting in seminary, in college? You know, and yet that's what we do, like all the time. You know, we meet and we meet and we meet and we. And I actually believe meetings are the the, the playing field. You know, of great teams. It's. I think every great decision ought to be made in a meeting. Because we're better together, right? But. Let's be honest. We have endured some rough meetings. I mean, some meetings from hell. And so I want to help you lead better meetings. Let's talk about it. Five, the five purposes of meetings. One, community. The leader that says, hey, we really don't have anything to meet about this week doesn't understand one of the primary purposes of meetings. We need to meet not just because I need to use you to get ministry done or not just because I need to download a list. I want to be with you because I value you. Because our relationship is everything to me. Because I know you're going to have to defend me to people. So you got to know my heart. And i got to know your heart. And we got to trust each other. And that's only going to happen by consistency, proximity, and mutual devotion. So we got to be together. We're going to be together. We're not going to be too busy to meet together. And if something comes up, we're going to work hard to reschedule it. Community. When you go into a meeting, don't just fly into the agenda. Spend a few moments and ask about your team, how they're doing. Get to know each other. Cut a joke. Have a life. Okay? Talk about athletics. That's spiritual. Talk about something. Let them see the real you, the human you, you know, when you go into the meeting. Don't, don't just every time you call or text a team member. Don't, I mean, you don't. Have you ever been with somebody who's on staff at a church, whatever, and they get a text from the big guy and they're like, ugh. You know, they do that with you, too, when you're not there. Unless, like, when you call and when you text, you're asking about them first. And you're doing life with them. You care. It's important, and they know the difference. Number two, communication. We have to communicate. We have to fight to communicate. And it shouldn't just be one way. I just don't come in from the top with tablets, glowing face, and throw them on everybody. Here's what God told me. I call that pulling the God card. Who can debate and dialogue when God's already told me what we're going to do? All right? Instead, be honest enough to recognize it could be something you ate, not the Holy Spirit. It could be testosterone driving your next decision, okay? So why not say something like, here's what I feel like God could be leading us to do, but I know the Holy Spirit lives in all of you guys. I want to hear what you think. Now, followers, yes men, yes women, they'll just go along with whatever you say, okay? Leaders won't buy in unless they weigh in. Which leads to number three, collaboration. Collaboration. Walk in there, get input from people. I have found most people don't have to have the decision go their way. They just want to be heard. So when you go into a meeting, ask for input. Ask them, to, you know, what are the top three things you feel like you need to communicate to me that I need to know? Teach your team to lead with this sentence. Hey, pastor, just so you know. I, tell, I used to tell our team members all the time, I just don't want to be surprised. If it's going to end up on my desk anyway, tell me now so I'm not blindsided by it. So before you come to that meeting, I want to know, just so you know, three statements. Just tell them to me. There's probably three things. Dream them up. Think them up. Think hard. There's probably three things I don't need to be surprised by. I need to know. And it sort of helps them come with a prepared posture to that meeting to know they've got to have some communication, some collaboration. going. Number four, coaching. When do you address an issue with a team member? Every day, every week. If, you, if you'll make meetings a normal consistency in your, in your leadership, you'll be, it's very common and, and, and normal to coach people. 
hey, this is a great event. Let's blah, 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 blah. It's great. Start wash right, all of that. They say, hey, a couple things. You know, Todd, when we did this this week, missed that. You know, we need to do better on that. John, we did this. You don't have to hammer people. If you let it store up, you know, over time. You ever had one of those fights that comes out like every seven years in your marriage? <laughs> and, men, we can't remember it. She remembers every detail and every word and it all comes out at one time Trisha and I used to be bad about this when we got married and we've learned over time we've gotten so much better at keeping a cleaner slate and it it, hap- it helps when you meet regularly together and you make eye contact with each other number five cheering on one another cheering on one another vision leaks and when we forget why we do what we do we'll eventually lose our passion Think about what we ask people to do in our churches. They're they're not sexy tasks. Hand this sheet of paper out 500 times today. (laughs) That's as monotonous as the day is long. You know, we send this brand new Christian out to the parking lot. Bless his soul. (laughs) He's going to take his life into his own hands. He's going to be flipped off. You know, mud all over him, rain. Another big lie from hell I believed is that if you just assimilate people to close the back doors of your church. No, it won't. If you just assimilate, people don't want to be assimilated. They're not even sure what that is. Okay? They don't want to be assimilated. They don't want to be a statistic. And if you just throw them in the black hole of ministry and there's not a leader over them, pouring into them, caring for them, consistently reminding them why they're handing out that little sheet of paper. And Joe and Susan and their three-year-old kid that came last week, that you know, they brought into the service with them. They came through your door and both of them you know, gave their lives to Christ and reconciled their marriage. Now, I'll hand that worship guide out two more weeks. So you've got to have leaders that are doing this. You've got to cheer one another on. whatever, And let us consider, Hebrews 10, 24 says, how we may spur one another on. There's an intentionality. So if you want to grow up as a church plant, as a church or whatever, start giving some intentionality to your meetings. Some go, take some planning. Don't just come in there and fall down in the chair. <laughs> what do we need to talk about today? It was terrible this past Sunday. Who would want to follow you? Okay, have some intention out. How, 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 how are we going to do life today, do community? How, how am I going to build into it? How am I going to cheer them on today? What, what could I invite their feedback? Because when I do, they're going to sit up in the edge of their chairs. What do I need to communicate to them and not surprise them by? What do they need to communicate? All of a sudden, like, everybody will look forward to coming to the meetings. You're pouring into them. It's important, okay? So what do we do? You know, we, it's easy to think about what everybody owes us on our team, but what do we owe our team? I want to give you four things. Four things we owe our team in a healthy way. We owe them grace, number one. Grace. If grace changes us, grace can change other people. Come on now. They don't have to be perfect. Take a chill pill, okay? The words were behind on the song. People can still be saved. All right? Who, 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 are, who are my optimists in the, in the room? Okay, who are my optimists? Who's more like me, a realist? Okay? You know what a realist is? A pessimist in denial. Okay? It's really easy to focus on everyone, everybody, everybody everything that went wrong. Very, very easy. Don't do that. Okay? Give grace. The Holy Spirit can do more than you think He can do. And He's not limited by our weaknesses or our faults like you think He is. All right? Excellence can be a disguise for perfectionism. And you're going to be an angry, agitated church leader. And there's a reason why they're called preacher's kids. Because we get in the car and we talk about everything and everybody that did everything wrong. Don't do that. Grace. Look at the person next to you and say, grace. We need grace. Okay? Secondly, with it, honesty. Honesty. Okay? We owe each other honesty. I made a commitment to my pastors. I'm never going to go home and say something to my spouse about you I'm not willing to say to you. That's how honest we're going to be with each other. Which means, by the way, we're going to have more conflict. 
Bring it on. We're going to have more conflict. But you're, you're never going to have to wonder what my angle, what my agenda is, how you're doing, all of that. Is, is, he, real, is he really thinking this? I'm going to shoot straight with you. I'm going to shoot straight with you. And I want you to hold me accountable to that. And guess what I expect of you because I'm giving you that luxury. Don't you go home to your wife, who I've got a pastor, and, and, and vent about me. Not if you get frustrated, when you get frustrated at me. Come talk to me. Let's be gut-level honest with each other. I'm going to step on your toes. I'm going to hurt your feelings. Welcome to our church. <laughs> We're going to handle it differently. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Three proper placement. Proper placement. I owe a team member the opportunity and privilege to be in a position that matches their gifts and their capacity. John Maxwell says the reason why most churches aren't growing is we have ushers that can't ush and Susie's that can't sing and people won't tell them. Okay? It requires courage to lead. No pun intended. And a lot of us, we think we're one higher away, one more leadership selection away. I have found most churches are one fire away. One leader that needs to step down, needs to be moved over into a position that aligns with their gifts. Because the longer you allow them to sit in a seat on the bus where they're not gifted and wired and skilled to serve, the greater the tension is going to grow in their relationship. And if you have a situation with a team member or a leader where they were doing fine for a while and then all of a sudden there's this new passive aggressiveness, there's this new awkwardness, it's probably the number one indicator that they've outgrown their capacity. And the longer you let them stay in over their head, the tension is going to grow in that relationship. It's the best thing you can do for them to have that difficult conversation with them. And if you're not careful, it's going to grow. A little bit of yeast does what? works its way through mama and through kids and through small group and through their leadership team and all of that. And churches don't split outside in, guys. They split inside out. you got to be proactive about these things. Okay, it's very important. Grace, honesty, proper placement, and lastly, prayer. We owe our team prayer. Always committed to our team. I'm going to pray for you more than I complain about you. And it's neat what happens when you pray for your team members. You go into that prayer spot. Let's just be honest. You want to pinch their heads off in the name of Jesus sometimes. But when you begin to pray for them, something cool happens. Something cool happens. And your heart softens for them. And neat things happen. Okay? So I want to give you the job description for every leader on the team. The job when, when, you're, when you're placing these people on the team, the last thing you need to do is say, children's ministry, sick them. Student ministry, sick them. Parking ministry, sick them. They don't know how to lead. Okay? We're not being taught leadership. We're being taught in our seminaries and church planning courses how to plan a church. We're not, we're not still not, we, we don't know how to lead. So they need to know, they don't even know what to do with their time. Here's the scariest thought, okay? If you're the leader of your ministry, you're the most disciplined, prioritized person on the team. <laughs> Is that scary or what? It goes way downhill after you. And guess what? They will never get better unless you help them do it. And the reason why they're workaholics and they can't take their day off and all of that, they don't know how to manage their time. They don't know how to manage their calendars. They're not people that are disciplined. Guess who's got to teach them all of that? So don't just teach a devotional with a goosebump thought attached to it. Have specific training. What are you trying to train them to do? Don't start with what do I want, to, want them to know Start with what I, what I need to teach them to do in ministry. Okay, I'll give you four things. This is the senior pastor's job description, but this is the parking lot captain's job description, the children's director's job description, all the way up and all the way down. Okay, number one is to share the vision. My number one responsibility is to believe in the vision and communicate the vision with other people. It doesn't matter how skilled or eloquent I am in any other area. I, my first responsibility is to share the vision. I'm not a worship leader. I, I share the vision through worship leadership. I'm not a small group leader, a Bible teacher, a children's director. I share the vision through that role on the team. And as the church grows, if it grows rapidly, and God blesses, I'm probably not going to be sitting in the same role in the long run anyway. Remember, the goal is more important than the role. So no matter where I'm at, my responsibility is to share the vision. Number two, encourage the heart. Guess what I do? I'm an encourager. I don't park cars. I encourage people. 
We had a brand new former military guy. His name was Chris. He was one of those guys just barely one leg out of the bar, and God had saved him. He got back to me in the lobby one day. He was turning people down on their second cup of coffee. We gave coffee away at the cafe. He was like, is this your second cup? And I had to remind him, like, we, we don't serve coffee, we serve people. You know, and had, had to coach him and remind him why we're doing what we're doing. Our, our chief role as a leader is to be an encourager. This is why, if you're in the children's ministry, or student ministry, or production, or worship, or parking lot, you can't be running around stressed out, face contorted on Sunday morning. Followers can do that. Leaders do not have that luxury. Leaders have got to be encouraging. That's, that's why it can't fall back on you to be in the classroom, to park the car, to stand at the door. This is why you've got to be free. You've got to raise up leaders to get that done so that you can walk around and high-five people. Nobody else is going to do it. If you as the leader, don't do it. You've got to encourage the heart. That's what you do. Number three, enable others. I'm a leader. I build teams. I raise up other leaders. I'm not a doer. I'm a developer. We had a fam family in our church. Their name was Tom and Carol. I removed their last name to protect the guilty. They were in charge of our cafe ministry until we got almost seven or 800 people. And we had three or four conversations about them. They owned a cafe even way earlier in their career. And they were like coffee Nazis. Like nobody could make coffee like Tom and Carol. So guess what began to happen? We, we, people would sign up to be in the cafe ministry to serve coffee and host and all there, and we'd see it trickle back down to Tom and Carol because nobody could make coffee like Tom and Carol could make it. They were doers, but they weren't developers. And finally, after three or four conversations, we went to Tom and Carol. I mean, they, these were like the first people there every Sunday, last ones to leave, faithful tithers, had been there since the beginning. Finally, we had to have a difficult conversation, a courageous conversation, say, Tom, Carol, Love you guys. You make great coffee. But for whatever reason, I don't think your skill set is wired to be the leaders of the, the cafe ministry. We're going to have to get somebody. It's a recruiter, a developer, a team builder, all of those things. And I'm sad to say that on the heels of that conversation, it kind of revealed some things. Tom and Carol left our church over that conversation. We put Tammy in there who didn't know a jack about coffee. She was the host team coordinator for the 930 service, and we'd seen her build a bunch of teams over there. We stuck her over in the cafe ministry. Six months later, we had 40 people in the cafe ministry, coordinators over each service, and the thing was running itself. And they made us look really good. And there were a bunch of marginalized people spiritually plugging into the cafe ministry that we were caring for like we'd never cared before. The vision's got to be boss. So you've got to, to do that for your team. You've got, to build, you've got to challenge them not to be doers but developers. Even when our church was running 3,000 people plus, if I saw a staff person, a person I'm paying to work here, carrying a ladder, I'm like, that's expensive labor right there. You know, there are tons of people in our church that carry ladders for a living that would love to do whatever you're doing. Okay? Your, your, your best skill set here is not handyman. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm paying you to be an equipper, especially if you're getting paid by your church. You cannot do. you got to develop. you got to equip, okay, or you don't need to get paid. I'm just being honest with you. you got to change. you got to let go of those things. And then fourthly, model the way. We have to model the way. We sacrifice the most while complaining the least. We're the first ones there. We're the last ones to leave. We live above reproach. We're generous people, all of those things. And we, we developed this into a leadership covenant. Now, some of you have been listening to me up to this point, and you're like, oh, that's great. Sean had all these paid people. No, we developed this when we had no paid people. And we made a leadership covenant with our lay people, okay? Some of us are paid to be good. Most people have got to be good for nothing in our churches, <laughs> all right? You're going to have to – your church will never be big enough, okay? This, this campus that I attend, okay, is averaging about 10,000 people, okay? They have 32 staff people. On this campus, 32 for 10,000 people. Do the math, okay? You're probably staffed at a higher quotient than this church is right now, okay? That, but they've got dream team members running around, a bunch of good-for-nothing people, you know, that are catalyzing the ministry. Because they don't hire doers, they hire leaders. you got to do that. 
You got to do that with with your team, okay? So, which leads me to the last thing I want to talk about today, the last few minutes. I want to talk about handling conflict on the team. Jesus never promised we wouldn't have conflict. He just said the way we handled it would be different. It's pretty obvious. You put people different race, tribes, tongues, languages, put them under the same roof with a history, you got the makings of a bomb. So Jesus actually talked quite a lot about this in the Gospels, didn't he? About what to do when you're offended and someone sins against you and all of that stuff, how to handle it. But we don't practice it in our churches. The gospel's not just something we believe. It's something we live out in our relationships. And if you'll start living the gospel and applying it to conflict resolution, it'll help you. As your team grows, as your church grows, you know, it's like, uh, I think it was Mekon said this morning, you just got more crazies. Who was it said that this morning? You just got more crazies. You got any crazy people in your church? All right, they're just, they're just come, they just come by the dozens after a while, okay? It's, it doesn't get easier. And, 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 and so we've got to learn how, you need to teach this. To your team. Hold, hold each other accountable to handling conflict. God's way. Conflict's inevitable. Drama is a choice. Conflict is inevitable. Drama is a choice. So I want to just talk about how to build a drama-free team. How many of you are interested in that? All right, number one, be proactive. Be proactive. We can't stick our head in the sand and hope things are going to get better. When you get that little tension, that little sick feeling in your stomach, they start treating you some little weird body language, weird in the lobby. Okay, that's probably the Holy Spirit making you aware of what's going on there. Okay, don't even don't don't assume, don't assign intention, whatever. Just go to it and have coffee with them. Hey, I just want to circle up with you. Everything good? Are we good? Are we good? Be proactive. Culture happens by design or by default. You don't have to decide. You know what? I think I'll create a culture of gossip. All you have to do is allow it. Culture is created through what we allow. Okay, passive-aggressive behavior being tolerated will create a culture of passive-aggressive behavior. You don't have to do anything. It just happens by default. So you've got to be proactive. When we recognize a tension or a conflict, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him. You go. Be proactive. Don't wait for them to come to you. Just go ahead and go. You may be wrong. Okay, I have found a lot of times if they've got a little bit of passive aggressive, you know, personality to them. Oh, no, nothing's wrong with me. But at least they know you recognize their passive aggressive behavior. And it has a way of nipping it in the bud. So be proactive. Okay, number two, begin one on one. Begin one on one. Never confront by committee first. They're always going to be less defensive, more coachable, more teachable if you approach them one on one. Now, if you're afraid they're going to pull a gun on you, that's a whole other thing. But most of the time, that's not true. If your brother sins against you, Jesus said, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And yet I'll have senior pastors call me and say, should I take my executive pastor with me to this meeting? Have you talked to them one-on-one yet? Then no. That's what the, we got to decide if we really believe the gospel or not. If we're going to live the gospel. And I'm going to trust Jesus that if I'm going to do it his way, he's going to take care of the outcome. Like he, Satan has us picture this episode of Jerry Springer in our minds of chairs being thrown and crazy stuff. And I have found it just, it's just never like that. If I'm proactive and I go to them one-on-one, it's, it, 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 goes, it goes very, very, very well. Okay, You need to teach your team that venting is not profitable, nor, nor beneficial, nor biblical. I have team members who've said to me over the years, well, I just had to get it off my chest. I just had to vent to someone. I just haven't been able to find a verse that allows for that in the Gospels. I, I don't need to vent. To, I'm not supposed to vent to anybody else. What am I supposed to do if you've offended me, if you've sinned against me? Come to you. So I told my team, I'm going to hurt your feelings. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take advantage of you. I'm going to take you for granted. I'm going to say things, do things, talk to my wife. I do it all the time. Okay, but when I do, I just need you to come to me. I'm never going to be too busy to meet with you and talk to you if you need to talk to me. Okay, it's very important. So teach them how to do that. Okay, we should never say anything about a team member we're not willing to say to them. Teach them that. Number three, be humble upon approach. 
Be humble upon approach. Don't don't accuse. Don't blame. Don't pull everything out for the last seven years. You know, keep a clean slate. Use phrases like, it could just be me. I could be reading into this. I could have taken this the wrong way. There might not be anything, but I just when you said that, I it hit me the wrong way, and I owe it to you to tell you. Hurt my feelings. Um, probably shouldn't have hurt my feelings, but it did, and I owe it to you to tell you that. And just take a humble approach. We can be transparent about our hurts without pointing fingers. And then, of course, if somebody's coming to us and we begin to foster this kind of culture, if you're as the leader and they come to challenge you on something and you're defensive, you just shut down all transparency on your team. So you may totally disagree with what they're coming to talk to you about, but just learn to say, thank you, I received that, let me process that. I hate you and I disagree with you, in other words. That's my flesh. But I don't need to say any of that right now. And I need to process this. And after I've processed and prayed over it, guess what I realize? I did sin most of the time. Okay, so just don't be defensive. Be humble upon approach as you talk to each other. I'm I'm giving you stuff to equip your team with. Are you hearing me? This is stuff you should talk to the host team about and the greet team and the parking team and the children's ministry team and the creative arts team, all of that. You need to teach this. Number four, balance grace and truth. Jesus, when he came on the scene, was full of grace and truth. I told you before, we owe them grace and honesty. Now, some of us are more naturally truthers. Like, we don't, we don't have a problem saying what we think. We don't have a big filter. How many of you are like that? Okay? All right? There, I'm, a tr- I'm more of a truther. So the only time I will ever talk to my wife about something with another team member is when I've already made a commitment to go to them. I've thought through what I want to say. I need to run it by the gracer over here. And oftentimes she will say, whatever you do, don't say it like you just said it. (laughs) Right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay? And so it's just how to say what needs to. You can do the right thing the wrong way and still blow things and people up. You can be right and not be righteous about it. Okay? Now, who are my gracers? Okay? All right? You need to lean into truth. Okay? The opposite of conflict is not peace. It's artificial harmony. It's going to bother you. It's going to get under your skin. It's going to make you angry, agitated, frustrated. It's going to make you discouraged. It's going to make you depressed. It's going to make you quit the ministry. If you don't stretch that muscle to be honest and, and stretch that muscle, okay? You got, you got, there's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. A peacemaker understands I got to go into the tunnel of chaos and I got to have conflict. Just say to them, I hate this. I don't want to talk to you about this, but I'm trying to live the gospel and my feelings are hurt. Just start right there. I probably shouldn't, but I've got my feelings hurt and I've got to talk to you about it. That's what the gospel says I'm supposed to do. That's what Jesus says I've got to do. I, don't, I shouldn't be offended, but I am. And, we, and I need to talk to you about it. Okay? And hopefully you've got a healthy enough leader that will listen to that. So lean in grace and truth. It's important. All right? Last but not least. Remember, their response is not my responsibility. Remember, their response is not my Well, I don't know. They, they might leave and they might throw a chair and they might, you know, they, they might this. They're going to pull their tides and they, don't, they might this, this, and whatever. And they're going to talk to so-and-so, whatever. I've just found that if I live for an audience of one and I will do what needs to be done in the right way and live the gospel, like the Holy Spirit just comes in Almost every one of those difficult, courageous conversations I've had has ended with joy, t- uh, tears of joy and hugs and handshakes. And every meeting has ended, we've ended as brothers and sisters. Even we disagree with each other. I think Paul and Barnabas played this out really well. Like they travel with each other for a season. There was like this new tension. We don't even know why. I think as much as anything, it's like Barnabas was coming a man who stood on his own two feet. He had a clear vision for his life, and it was a little bit different from Paul's vision of his life. But rather than it getting all Jerry Springer, they just agreed that the kingdom was big enough for both of them. And it was okay. They didn't have to work together forever to, to honor God's kingdom. And sometimes we hold on to people too tightly. They don't, our leaders don't belong to us. They don't belong to us. They belong to God. So hold them openly. Our responsibility is not to finish with every leader that starts with us. And you won't. You won't. Let them go. Just leave them better than you found them. And take the high road. 
And honestly, they may leave and be a little bit passive-aggressive and defriend your spouse on Facebook. It's happened to us. <laughs> but if you start throwing manure, you're going to get more manure on you. Okay? Just take the high road. Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is excellent, praiseworthy, admirable. Think on these things. Just take the high road. Some of you have been wounded in here. Get counseling. Go with God. Live for an audience of one. And start stretching that muscle to live the gospel. And you will have an incredibly healthy, unified team. And you'll answer Jesus' prayer that you and I would be one. That's what he wants. Does that encourage you? Okay, questions. Ten minutes. All right, I have the mic, so if you have a question, just slip your hand up. We'll yeah, they're recording get... it, so we got to use the mic. Yeah, so as many as you can. Who's got the first question? This guy over here. All right. You pass it now. You touched on this a little bit, um, but I just wanted to see if there's anything else you wanted to expand on. But uh, a part of when we create that culture of having people come to us and be transparent with us if we've upset them or something like that, how do you recommend making sure we, we not be defensive but practically make sure we're open and we're not communicating that to the person telling us? So I taught our team. You know, when somebody's approaching you, here's your only responsibility. Shut up in the name of Jesus. <laughs> like, just there's just no need. Don't argue intent. It doesn't matter what you meant. Just listen. Just listen. And let me, res- let, me, let me process through that and, and pray about that. And then can we circle up in a few days? That's all you need to say. You know, thanks. I'm sorry. You know, if you can't even muster that up, just don't say anything. Just can, can we pray together and let me process this? And I will. And, you know, it just, it's amazing the Holy Spirit does work in that moment. You know? Yeah. And, if you're, and if you're close to the senior leader and they're bad about doing this, it's very, very common, by the way. And you're close to that senior leader, help him, help her. Say, look, I don't know if you've recognized this, but when somebody says something, you react, you, and, and it's going to shut down all honesty on the team. Help them understand that they're reacting, you know, so that we don't continue doing that. Um, you mentioned a little bit on proper placement, and I wanted to know, in your church, do you have any tools or anything you can share with us about, you know, some people don't realize their own gifts and talents. Um, yeah. Like, for instance, yeah. my daughter's an, a missionary in Africa. They did a tons of those, like, personality-type things. Where's your giftings and all that? Is there anything you could suggest so we can, you know, help people realize their gifts and, and place them in the right? Yeah, so I'll encourage you. I'm not a big fan of spiritual gift inventory tests the way we take them. Somehow they got by without those in the New Testament. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> How did they do it in the New Testament? It wasn't, like... Like, the way we take spiritual gift inventory tests, it's me assessing myself. Have you guys watched these early episodes of American Idol? (laughs) We're not good at that. The whole time she's up there singing, you're like, where's her mama? (laughs) To tell her. So how did they identify their gifts in the early church? It wasn't me assessing. I plugged in and humbly served as a servant. And my spiritual leaders recognized my giftedness. And they move me. That's the whole idea of ordination is that we recognize that call on your life and the giftedness to be a spiritual leader in the church. So we humbled ourselves to that. Everybody else should humble themselves to that. And you help point those things out. And you're not going to get it right every time. It only bubbles up. It's like, man, that girl can teach. Man, that girl has the compassion. Man, that guy, you know, he has an amazing administrative gift. It bubbles up through the church. So plug them in and teach your leaders to watch, teach on the spiritual gifts and teach your leaders how to begin to recognize those gifts and then get them in a position that aligns, you know, with that gift. All right. My wife, she, she ran our children's ministry for the f- first few years of our church. And neither one of us, we don't like our own kids most of the time, you know. We don't necessarily feel called to, like, love children. You know, that's just not how we're wired. But she's an amazing gift of administration. So she got somebody who had that compassionate gift, who was a teacher, to run up and down the hallways, and she's running the thing, you know, like a well-oiled machine from an administrative perspective. So you, you staff to your weaknesses. You build a team around you in the things that you're not good at. So I'm not a big fan of tests. You know, time, that's why the leaders have got to be standstill and observing and watching and coaching and debriefing all the time to help them do that. Yeah, um, you know, I, I see all this and all this information is great. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, as I, I see that it takes time, you know, to do all these things. I'm like thinking like, man, I can't wait to do this and do that. And I'm like, wait, 
Uh, let me look at my calendar. Let me look at, you know, how do you find time to, to, to really pour into people? It's not like a, a two-minute devotional, you know, you do. You, you have to invest. And, and I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm growing up in a culture where it's like busy, 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 everything. I'm getting two hours of sleep, three hours of sleep. How do you invest that time? So properly? as the ministry grows, it's really important. You can't run around and do everybody one-on-one. You got to cluster people. Okay, I watch our pastor at this size right now. Like he's got so many people pulling on him, and he's got so many leaders that he could be meeting with and investing into. And he's realized you just almost can't meet with Pastor Chris one on one. He just knows that. So he, as the church has grown, instead of meeting with each pastor individually, he started clustering them. First it was in threes, then it was in thirties. Now it's three hundreds. You know what I'm saying? So the more the ministry grows, try to cluster people instead of meeting with this guy and this girl and this guy and this guy. Form a team out of them, and I would make that my small group. And if you can't pay them, you know, you got a you got a bivocational team or you got a non-paid team, like I would make that my small group on Sunday nights and serve dinner, potluck, and spend my time with them, and I'd turn that into a glorified staff meeting. You know, so think of ways you can multi-purpose, you know, and cluster people, and it, and it helps you master your time. And frankly, just put those things on the calendar first. If the details go to hell in a handbasket, that'll be okay. The first thing's on my calendar are my meetings with my leaders. And guess what? Like some of that stuff gets magically done that we thought could not get done without us. Somebody picks it up and runs with it. Yeah. Um, if there was a, so I know that all three are important pieces to the gears of growth, but if there was an area that was like, like let's say for instance, a team is struggling in all three areas and you wanted to like focus on one so that we can get the other two in line later on at that point, uh, what would you say would be the most important? I would have your team literally rank them. Get, get, get four or five of your leaders around you, rank them. Where are we? Scale of one to ten, each of these. And probably one's going to be a three, one's going to be a four. You know, I'd attack the three first. John Maxwell says focus on your strengths, but organizationally, we're only as strong as our weakest link. So if it's your team, man, go like a laser beam. Okay? A good team will compensate for poor systems. Okay, a great culture will compensate for a, a weak team. So you can you can really tackle one, make it better. And if this starts moving a little bit faster, they all work together. So it begins to create momentum. Yes, sir. One area of discipline and focus flows over to another area. So you're going to have some great conversations that are going to create a healthier culture by focusing on your team. So they spill over in each other. So don't get overwhelmed and condemned, you know, by all three. Just Try to figure out the weakest one. Talk to your team about it and tackle it. It may not. There's not a perfect math to it, but there's power and focus. Hey, one of my favorite things you said was that followers will sign up on a card, but the leaders, for the most part, will stand there and wait to be recruited. Uh, can you share some insight on how to approach that conversation and how to uh, invite a potential leader into a team or into a position? Yeah, so I literally stood in the lobby. I mean, I did this for years. I, I Even as a megachurch pastor, I stood in the lobby. I'll never forget the day George and Dee walked in the room, and I just recognized them. They weren't deer in headlights. They were discriminating. They were filtering. They were watching all things. I didn't know, but they had led the whole financial counseling ministry for Willow Creek Church. I saw them. I saw them, to my credit. <laughs> I saw them in three seconds, you know, of coming in the door. I was like, leadership potential and I just walked up and says hey I don't believe I've met you guys I've been introduced to you guys before what you don't say is hey are you new around here you know and call them out and they said you talked to us as if we'd been there for months you had no idea it was your first time our first time and I did I just didn't speak to them that way you know and then cast vision to them I'm immediately talking about what God's doing and ways they can use their skills and I'm not afraid to present myself as needy you know, we have so many places in our church right now where God could use a leader like you. And I'm telling you, they were going to visit. Andy, Andy Stanley, one of his campuses were a mile and a half away from us. They were going to visit his church the next Sunday. They never left. They never left because I was on them, you know, and saw value in them and just invited them to participate quickly. You know, watched them like a hawk for dysfunction, you know, to come out. But, but you know, so just... Just go. Don't be worried about making a mistake. It's the main thing. Just go. Last yeah. question. Last right question. Hi, young leader, learning a lot. So if you remember back to the moment when the, the couple in the coffee shop were gridlocking 
and then they transitioned out. Did you guys have some sort of a ripple or aftermath or disturbance Always. from other dream yeah. teamers or volunteers? Best and how case did you scenario, you're going to lose five people. Best case scenario. Best case. Okay. Sooner the better. It's five or 25 or 50. You know, you get to decide. So, yeah, it's all, they're always going to take more people with them the longer it festers because they get frustrated. They get agitated. You're pushing in on them. They're feeling it. They're outside of their comfort zone. You're asking them to do something they're not good at, and they're, they're begrudgingly doing it. And so they start acting out on Sunday mornings, and it's, it's like toxic. So just deal, be proactive. I've never had a leader say to me, you know what, we had that conversation a little bit too quick. If I had a nickel for every leader who had said to me, I waited too long to have that conversation. I would be a very wealthy man. So, yeah, you're going to lose. It's just a matter of how many you're going to lose. I call that growth by strategic regression. How many of you had growth by strategic regression? Come on now. All right? It's okay. All right? Our goal is not to take everybody. It's to go with the goers, you know, and to lead leaders. And, and, and it's amazing what happens when you get it back in place again. Thanks for letting me share with you guys. I'll be around afterwards if you need me.